Hi, and welcome once again to another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich. My guest today is Michelle LeClaire, author of a best-selling book entitled Perfectly Clear, Escaping Scientology and Fighting for the Woman I Love. It's co-written by Robin Gabby Fisher. Michelle is a high-profile former Scientology member, and today we're going to hear her story of how she came to terms with her sexuality and found the courage to leave the Church of Scientology. No easy task. First of all, welcome. You've been besieged with interviews, including People magazine. You've been everywhere, and I thank you for giving me the time today. Jordan, thank you so much for having me. The book is called Perfectly Clear. Let's explain why that title is appropriate, since we're talking about Church of Scientology, please. Well, obviously, the word clear um, is something that is important in Scientology. There are levels that you try to achieve for um what they feel is your spiritual awareness, and the level of clear is one of those. Um, I took it differently, and I feel I feel like everything about Scientology is clouded. I feel that nothing is wide open and transparent, and it actually took love to open my eyes and get me to see perfectly clear. Indeed. I was taken by how you became, I'm going to use quotation fingers here, initiated into into this. And of course, it was your mother who first got involved. And needless to say, you're a product of your environment. Talk a little bit with us, Michelle, about how you became a member. You know, I get that question quite a bit, and I think it's an important one for people that are listening. As we are young, we either follow our parents or we don't, but we tend to take their guidance. And my mother was never looking to get into a cult. She wasn't looking for a new religion. Uh, My mother had uh, moved with me from Oklahoma uh, in the mid-80s, and she started working for a management consulting firm. And that management consulting firm in Glendale, California, happened to be one of the largest recruiters to the Church of Scientology. The owners of the company were Scientologists. Um, 98% of the people that worked in the company were Scientologists, and they would market to doctors, individual practitioners who owned offices. So if you're an ophthalmologist or a chiropractor um, and you have a business, veterinarians um, tended to be people that they would go after, and you would get a brochure in the mail saying that we could help you with marketing. And then they would come in and offer consulting time. The issue was that they would dive in deep to your personal life. And um, once they started, you know, diving into a doctor's personal life and finding out if there was any marriage issues or uh, anything else, then they would suggest that courses from the Church Mm -hmm. of Scientology could help them. So my mother became a consultant at the company and she had her own issues with relationships and was, you know, looking for help in that area. She was on her fourth marriage that was ending in a divorce. And so one day she came home and started telling me about these great courses that she was taking on relationships and communication. And she wanted to talk to me about it. And I pretty much ignored it. I was graduating high school. I was on my way to the American University of Paris, and I really wasn't interested uh, in hearing about these courses. But 
eventually she got me there. Right. What's really interesting to me is the connection between businesses and big money and the Church of Scientology. And you were quite successful working very, very hard, it seems, for the church and making them a lot of money. You were generating a lot of income. Tell our audience here about your career and the work you were doing to raise so much money. Well, I think when when you look back and say, this is a, and I hate calling it a religion, uh, but this is a cult that was started by a man who was a science fiction writer. And money was everything to Owen Hubbard and PR and hanging out with people in Hollywood. So therefore, he created an entity where he could suck in people from Hollywood, he could suck in um, large business owners, and he could make money off of that. So when you become a Scientologist, you are taught all about sales and marketing and speaking, and you really become a workhorse. So, you know, people say, well, didn't you get something good out of Scientology? I mean, look, I feel that Al Ron Hubbard ripped off a little bit of everybody. So when I explain um, Scientology, I explain it as, you know, look, it's a little bit of Buddhism mixed with Tony Robbins, wrapped with Star Wars. So, yes, I guess if I was taking some great Tony Robbins courses, um, I could attribute that to some of my success in business because I was very driven. But, yes, I ended up building one of the largest uh, women-owned life insurance agencies in the nation. Um, I did that without the help of anybody from the Church of Scientology, but I would say that their push for me to make money, their push Mm. for me to be successful uh, was definitely part of that driving force. You wrote some big checks, let's put it that way. I did. We're talking here with Michelle LeClaire, her book, Perfectly Clear, Escaping Scientology and Fighting for the Woman I Love. And we'll get to that subtitle because it's so important here. But you write about the marriage, well, relationships with men and then the ultimate marriage and what role the Scientology played in trying to keep you from leaving that marriage. It was an abusive situation and uh, you'd turn to them and they weren't the kind of help that we would hope you'd find. You'd spend a lot of time talking about this. It's very pivotal, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, it was. it's very sad how much the Church of Scientology condones abuse. And I experienced it personally for me. I had friends that I knew of that was experiencing the same thing. And every time that I would go to the Church of Scientology, to the chaplain, to my mentor, Mary, to my friends, Um, and explained that I was being physically hurt in my marriage. I was being mentally hurt in my marriage. And um, pretty much it was that I could never go to outside authorities. Everything had to stay within inside the counseling room of the Church of Scientology. There is somebody inside the church called IJC, which is the International Justice Chief. And you must get approval by IJC, which is some supposed man in the clouds somewhere that you're supposed to write up some report and wait eons to get approval if you have to file for a divorce, if you have to go to the police, if you have to file for a lawsuit. And you're taught that the Church of Scientology is going to protect you, but then they turn it always around on you. What did you do wrong? 
how did you pull this in? I knew a woman, a woman very well who actually had been raped in the parking lot at the Church of Scientology at about two o'clock in the morning. And she kind of disappeared for a couple of weeks. And when I saw her again after a couple of weeks, I said, what happened to you? Were you, you know, were you getting help? Were, you know, what happened? And she just said, look, Michelle, it was all my fault. I shouldn't have been taking a nap in my car. You have to realize, mm-hmm. I mean, these church members are worked till wee hours of the morning. I was taking a nap in my car. A man broke in my car and raped me, but I realized that it was my fault, right. my responsibility. So that's the hard part. In my situation, the abuse was always put back on me, and uh, I never got any help for it or was ever allowed mm. to go outside of the church. It, it's true psychological domination and coupled with a sense of paranoia. I mean, any non-church-related authority figure is sort of dissed, as I, as I read in the book, and you're not to turn to others outside. It's really the sense of hibernation. We're in this, and we're fighting the good fight for you, uh, and yet at the same time, they're tweaking the, the victimhood thing. It's incredible. You mentioned the celebrity thing. And uh, Leah Remini and others have certainly come out and and done their fair share of revealing what goes on. But is it safe to say that people who are not at the level of Travolta or Cruz or people from business who can support it with millions of dollars, you know, they're treated a little differently and a lot differently than, say, your mom and you (laughs) who were worked to the bone and, and really harassed? Oh, very much. I mean, you know, look, first of all, Leah Remini has been a trailblazer. Um, you know, with her show on A&E, The Scientology Aftermath. I mean, I just, you know, she is a friend. She is somebody I look up to. Mike Rinder, who also uh, does the show with her, who left the church, they have really exposed the abuses um, with many other people that have come out of the church. But in regard to celebrities, Leah will be the first one to tell you that if you are a high donor or you're a celebrity, you get away with a lot more than the average Scientologist does. And, you know, Elizabeth Moss right now is speaking out, you know, she's the star of Handmaid's Tale, and she is speaking out saying that whether Elwin Hubbard says something against the LGBT community or not, those are not her views and nothing that she has experienced. And, you know, I've tweeted back a few times saying, oh, come on, Elizabeth, like we all know that you are treated differently inside of the church than anyone else. And it's very simple. Look around. How many gay friends do you have? How many couples in the Church of Scientology are out and gay? How many, how many gay marriages have been done at the Church of Scientology? So if you get in trouble, I mean, let's take Danny Masterson, for example. Oh, yes. Danny Masterson, right, is being accused by four, I believe, four different women or more for rape. And um, one of the girls I knew, and she is not somebody that I would ever think would lie about that situation, and he's being protected by the Church of Scientology and uh, still has not been charged um, for any of these rapes. So, you know, I, I, I believe that the Church of Scientology does a good job with their money and with the threat of lawsuits to keep people from speaking Mm. out and they put all their celebrities at the forefront Mm -hmm. to say, we're fine. We've never experienced this situation. And that's probably because they never will. 
Let's talk uh, briefly now. I say briefly because in this podcast, it doesn't do its justice because your book is so well drawn about your own experience, about the coming to terms with your own sexual identity and the struggle that you face. Now, everyone usually faces a struggle when you're dealing with this, but you have the added component of this web of power that's sort of sucking the life out of the room and threatening you. You would find love with another woman. Was that the moment that finally did it for you, that you finally said, I can't take this anymore, this kind of abuse? It was. It was the first time I knew true love ever in my entire life, and it took me until I was 38 years old to find it. Um, And I knew that I would not give it up for anything. At 19 years old, I tried to come out. Um, I can't say that I was in love, but I had my first experience with a woman, and I was confused, and I was talking to, uh, you know, a person in Scientology, my counselor in Scientology, about it. And from that point on, that episode was used against me for pretty much the rest of my time in Scientology. And I was made to believe that homosexuality was a sin. Homosexuality um, was the lowest of the low on the Scientology emotional scale, that I was on the same category as a criminal, as a sexual deviant, as somebody who was sickly or had sex with animals. And that was something I did not want to be part of. Mm. And so the problem is you are forced to live a life. And look, this, this section of my story is really no different than anyone else who is forced to live a life that is not them. Whether it is in the Mormon religion, whether they are Catholic, whether they are Baptist, whatever it may be that does not support marriage equality or the LGBTQ community, I think we have to realize that we have to stop forcing people in boxes because all it does is create a horrible life for not only the people that are forced there, but for everyone around them. Because if you can't find happiness, you're not going to be a happy person. You're not going to be good at work. You're not going to be good in a relationship. And we have to start allowing people to find themselves and love who they want to love. And for me, being forced into a heterosexual relationship was literally like a part of me had to die and it is abusive and it is a, it is a horrific thing to have to experience for all those years. And luckily (laughs) when I finally had a moment where I had met a woman, I, I was divorced at this time and I was already kind of starting to question some things about Scientology I never knew love as great as I knew meeting this amazing woman. And I knew at that moment, I was not going to give that up. It's really uh, heartbreaking to know that uh, what you went through is not alone. You're not alone. I mean, so many hundreds, maybe thousands of people are struggling, and not just in this nation, but around the world by oppressive regimes or religious groups or pseudo-religious groups. It ended in 2011, but it doesn't really end. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the harassment and the threats and the stalking, because that was something that, yes, it's nine years ago or so or eight years ago, but it's still something that haunted you as it would anyone. Well, I can tell you the 
still the stalking and harassing go on today. Obviously, it's not as bad as it was back then. But, um, you know, readers can read the details in the book, but I will say this is I fought for my life for over five years. Um, I had to fight for my children. I had to prove my innocence. Um, you know, I fought against the state of California and, um, it was a difficult thing. We found out that an initial letter from Scientologists, uh, was sent into the state of California and, uh, claiming that they had information that I had, um, committed a crime and pretty much decided I was going to run a Ponzi scheme. And, um, the problem is, is that you get so blindsided because you finally feel that you're free and you're finally living this life of love that that within itself blinds you a little bit because you're not watching behind you. And so what happened is, you know, my computers were hacked. I was followed. Files were taken. My house was raided. My ex was working with eight other Scientologists to try and take me down. And, um, I didn't know that all of this was going on behind the scenes. And it, 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 it is truly house of cards meets scandal. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you will not believe what this cult can do to a human being when they are trying to take them down. And, you know, L. Ron Hubbard wrote a policy called Fair Game. And he literally says, it is not about winning the lawsuit. It is about utterly destroying the person who is going against the Church of Scientology and destroying their reputation so that they no longer have a voice. Right, right. Battlefield Earth. I was lucky. That's right. right. I mean, you know, he's a science fiction writer. We'll give him that credit. But no, it's it's really uh, fascinating to, to think about the level of specialists that they have on board, you know, lawyers, insurance, uh, even medical people. I mean, they have all kinds of professionals who are very good at what they do. And when uh, they turn the the knob to the left instead of to the right, and I don't mean politically, then you have an issue. Uh, these people are dangerous is what I'm reading about. They are dangerous. And I think it's important also to note um you know, I've said this before, and I really think this could be an ACLU thing, is that we here we are in 2019, and we have a constitution that is protecting the rights of a corporation, that is protecting the rights of a 501c3 religious organization over the rights of an individual. If we have freedom of religion in the United States, I would assume that the freedom of religion definition means that we can be part of a religion or we can choose to leave that religion. But when that religion decides to use its 501c3 money to harass, to stalk, to put up fake websites um, and go against those who have decided to leave that religion, we have a problem because those individuals like myself have absolutely no protection. Mm. And this happens in the Mormon church. This happens in the Catholic church. This happens in the Baptist church. And in my opinion, it should be that if those funds are being used to stalk, harass, set up fake websites, or do anything to harm an individual or harm an individual's reputation that has decided to leave their organization, 
they should lose their 501c3 status. And I think that we really need to look at that as either a bill that should be put up in Congress, or maybe it is something that we need to look at suing the government for our rights and our um, individual rights against religious organizations. Mm. I certainly think that there's a case to be made, absolutely. And your book is one more step in the process to make that case. Note to the listeners of this podcast, and maybe you've already done this, listeners, if you Google the lovely Michelle LeClaire, you've got to be very careful about what you're reading, because I noticed this with others, including the documentary maker on HBO who put out that amazing show a few years ago. Anybody who oh, attacks... Alex, me. Yes, thank you. Anybody who attacks the church use that in quotes, anybody who attacks is immediately subject to the online barrage of quote-unquote retorts and articles by respected quote-unquote individuals. And it's it's just, you, you can read through and understand where it's coming from, from central headquarters of the Church of Scientology. Well, and now they're required, you know, so many of those websites were removed um, where they put up, you know, websites about Leah Remini and Mike Render and myself and so many of them were removed because they were not saying it was from them. So now, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the website, which most people do not, it says, powered by the Church of Scientology. Mm. There is one thing I wanted to touch on, and that is a story, a short passage, where you talk about one or two, maybe three people in the hierarchy, not high up, but in the hierarchy of Scientology, who were decent people. And I think that's a point that should be made. I mean, it, not all the followers are as kooky and nutty as the leaders, but there, there are some people you meet along the way who are trying to do the right thing, are there not? I would say that most of the individuals that enter into Scientology are trying to do the right thing, um, and they're brainwashed just like anyone else's. I, I can tell you that, you know, I really never had a bad experience with Kirstie Alley. She was a business partner of mine. Um, I helped fund her weight loss company that she had launched. Um, you know, she never spoke out against me when I came out and never said a bad thing about me being gay that I knew of. The downside is, is that if the Church of Scientology told her to attack me or to start an attack campaign, she would do it. And so sadly... I think that there are more good individuals that eventually, or that go into Scientology. And a lot of people think that they're in because they want to save the world or they want to help people do better and that they have found a way to do that. But the, high, the hierarchy of the Church of Scientology, the David Miscavige, the International Justice Chief, the um, heads of the Office of Special Affairs, those people know exactly what they are doing, and they know when they are stalking somebody. They know when they are reporting false reports of how many people are in Scientology. They know when they're creating fake websites, and those people are bad and evil, in my opinion. Mm. And the fact that anyone believes that the Church of Scientology is big, that's purely their made-up PR. Everything that we have learned through Leah Remini is at their highest, maybe there were 75,000 Scientologists. We believed there were like 8 million mm -hmm. uh, when we were mm -hmm. in, and now it seems like it's down around 20,000, mm -hmm. which means 
they people are leaving and and podcasts like this, Leah's show, her book, my book, this is getting the information out there so that people don't step into the church any longer. Oh yeah. And information is key. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I was reading about L. Ron Hubbard preparing for our interview and well, I was a storyteller. He made stories up and there's nothing wrong with that. But he was uh, very good at deflecting and staying on his boat and keeping out of sight. I contend that if he were in the spotlight today and still around, there'd be a lot more focus and attention on him with social media and with people uh, like yourself and others who can go after the uh, head of the snake, so to speak. But uh, yeah, you do. Oh, he'd be in jail. Jordan, oh, yeah, I, if, yeah. if L. Ron Hubbard, if L. Ron Hubbard was around today, the reason he stayed out on his boat is because he had warrants out for his arrest. And so, um, you know, there would be, I'm sure, tax evasion issues and, um, you know, and keeping people against their will. So, yeah. But I think that, you know, the problem is, is people like David Miscavige, you know, there's this huge question of where is his wife? And um, Leah Remini brought that up. Nobody has seen his wife in years. Mm. And... And so, you know, the, con- the concern is that they, they have such protections. Our, you know, our Constitution gives religious organizations such protections that it's very difficult to get in and go after somebody like a David Miscavige. But um, I think there's quite a few cracks that have been made in that organization. Mm-hmm. Final question or something for you to comment on. Uh, you really have, and don't take this the wrong way, been born again, <laughs> to use that <laughs> religious connotation there. But it's, it's, a, it's almost as if there's two different people in Michelle LeClaire. Do you feel that way? You know, I don't know that I feel that there's two different people or if I feel like I've just gone back to my innate self. Mm. I, I feel sometimes like I'm this young girl again, just exploring life. And, and if I look back and think, you know, what was I like before I moved from Oklahoma? Um, you know, I, I sit on this farm outside of Georgia now and I think to myself, what a beautiful life I have. And I almost feel like I have gone from, you know, being 14 years old to now being in my late forties And all that time in between was just this kind of amnesia state. So I feel like the kind girl that I used to be um, is back. (laughs) I feel like, um, you know, I love being a mother and a partner. And, um, you know, religion is still important in my life, but I control the way that I view religion. Mm -hmm. And... I think that spirituality is extremely important and kindness. And, you know, my definition of success is very different today than it used to be back then. You know, back then it was how much money I made um, and, you know, what kind of things I had. And today my definition of success is how many times have I told my partner and my children how much I love them? How happy am I? How many days of happiness do I have? And on my next venture, am I launching a company and starting something new that are, that's going to help people? I, I really honestly don't care um, how much money it's making. I care if I'm doing good in the world. Mm. And uh, things are just very different today. 
Well, the book is called Perfectly Clear by Michelle LeClaire, Escaping Scientology and Fighting for the Woman I Love. And I will guarantee people will be riveted in the read and in the details, but also it's an allegory about life and who runs our life. Do we run our own lives or are we uh, the puppets being mastered by others? And it's a great, great look at what's going on in the Scientology world today. And uh, I'm very heartened to hear that the numbers are going down because no one wants to see anyone... uh, abused like you were. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing and congratulations on this new life. (laughs) It sounds fantastic. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for having me and thank you for exposing the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be talking to you today. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mic with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mic is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good. We'll be right back.